Welcome to our fifth installment in the Spiritual Sweat series, the series which seeks to get us in shape spiritually, as we are hoping to, as the Bible says, exercise ourselves towards godliness. And if you just join us here for the first time today, we've been following Mr. Peter up here as he's been trying to get into shape physically, but I hope that we've been following the theme of what we've been talking about right here, as we've been talking about a life of spiritual discipline. And we talked about how these disciplines, when we continue to practice them repeatedly and consistently, we will find ourselves getting into better spiritual health. And we agreed from the very start, this is not a one-time quick-fix answer. None of these things are, because that's not what the church has taught us from the beginning. What the church has taught us from the beginning is that these practices were put into place, okay, instituted all by Christ from the Bible, and then when we live this life and we continue to be consistent, just like we see with our man Peter, we continue to be exercising, continue to be consistent, we will find ourselves getting into shape. 
Just to recap where we've been so far, we talked about the most important discipline is that of meditation, which is that one-on-one -on -one time between me and God. That's the foundation for everything else. Because without that, all the other stuff is going to be skewed. You're going to become legalistic, and you're going to become focused on the actual practice and not focused on the relationship uh, more than anything else. So we said we have to have regular time, one-on-one -on -one time. This is my get-to-know-you time between me and God. Then on top of that, we talked about a life of simplicity. And, and the opposite of simplicity is covetousness and greed and living a complex life. We talked about how we need solitude. And a lot of people have been practicing the solitude. And you know, a lot of people told me this is the best thing they've ever started in their life. Just a regular time of quiet and of solitude to be able to decompress and to be able to think through life. And then last week we talked about service, but we didn't really talk about service. We really talked about slaveness, okay, or slavitude, which is what we are to God, is that we said that we are not servants, but we are all slaves to God, and we agreed that that's the mentality that we need to have. Now, as hard as those disciplines have been to hear about and to practice, today's the hardest one. But it's also the most rewarding one. And this is the point where if you've gotten through this point right here, and you can take this step, and again, let me be very clear, I'm not saying take the step and go home. I'm saying take the step and be consistent in this life. This one will have greater impact on your spiritual lives, probably more than any other ones on the list. That is the spiritual discipline of confession. Everybody loves confession. People inside the church hate confession. People outside the church hate confession. Makes you ask yourself, why do we have confession if everybody hates it? If the people who are inside, the people who are outside, have this thing about, con have these ideas about confession, how's it stuck around this long? Well, the reason that it's stuck around is because it is one of the most important practices to being healthy spiritually. And I bet you that if you give me your open mind here today, I'll show you why that is. To understand why confession is important, we're going to take a step back. Forget about confession right now. I want to go to God, and I want to go to the root of God, or the heart of God. And I want to know if you go to God right now, and you opened up God, because God has all this stuff that he says and that he does, and God has all this stuff associated with God. Let's cut through all that, and let's go straight to the heart of God. What are you going to find at the heart of God? What quality? What attribute? Well, I think... Let's look at some verses right here. Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Next verse, Micah 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of of the sea. What is at the root of God? What is God's greatest desire? God, why do you do all the stuff that you do? Why you say what you say? Why you do this? Like, why do we go through all this? What's at the heart of God is one thing more than anything else. God's greatest desire is to offer forgiveness to his children. That's why everything he does, he does. That's why he sent his son into the world. That's why he gives us commandments. That's why everything that he gives us, he gives us. Because at the root of it all, is God wants to forgive us of our sins and give us this gift of forgiveness. Why does God want to forgive us so much? Because the Bible says that God is love. 
Well, if you are in a loving relationship with another person, as this, the phrase says, okay, loving, loving and giving have to go hand in hand. You know where they say like you can't, uh, you can, uh, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Is that right? You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Love, at its root, is giving and forgiving. Any relationship which has lasted more than 10 minutes and is of any value and significance is because there is a spirit of giving and forgiving. And when we say that God is love, there's no difference between us and God. Everything God does is to forgive us our sins. And you would be surprised the extent that God will go to to forgive us our sins. God would, would go to such an extent that he would send his only begotten son into the world. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but receive forgiveness and live everlasting life with him. To show you how bad God wants to forgive us our sins. Let me show you this verse from the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. St. Paul says this, For he, meaning God the Father, made him, meaning God the Son, Christ, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Take a look at that verse and let that verse sink in. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Y'all know what this verse is saying? This verse is saying that what the Son of God came down on this earth and didn't just live around sin and didn't even just carry sin. He became sin. So what does that mean? First of all, verses like this, we can try to understand, but we can never fully understand. You know what this verse means? What is sin to God? You know what sin is to God? Sin is not just like, don't do that. Like, don't do that. Sin is repulsive to God. Sin is disgusting to God. Sin is the most, like, vile thing that God can imagine. Forgive my imagery, okay, right now, but I'm trying to draw something that can at least be 1% of way God looks at sin. You know what sin is to God? Sin is not just someone doing a boo-boo or a mistake. Sin is watching your spouse commit adultery. Watching it. Sin is parents watching your children drink poison in front of your eyes. Like the most horrifying thing that you can imagine, that's what sin is to God. Because a holy God and sin are the, as the two furthest things ever. But this holy God, who knew no sin, came down and not just lived among sin, but became sin and carried all that sin. You think about every time that Christ was whipped, every time that Christ put the thorn, the crown of thorns, every time he was mocked and jeered, and every time someone said, hey, buddy, move to the side of the road, I'm coming through. Every time he was disrespect, every time, every time, every time. That's sin. And he became sin. Why? Why you do that, Lord? Forgiveness. He became sin because that's what love does. Love goes to extreme measures for the one that is loved. And that's exactly what we see in Christ, the example that he gave. At the very end of his life, when Christ hung on the cross, that's why I like that song so much that we just sang. Okay, they don't even know if they knew I was going to say this. What it, when Christ hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Or it is done, okay, but it is finished, okay? Why he said it is finished? Sometimes people misinterpret that verse. And they think it means like, I'm finished, okay? It doesn't mean I'm finished. It means it is finished, the war is won. But not in a I quit kind of a way, in a I won kind of a way. 
it is finished. This is the Ravens at the end of the game saying, it is finished. We won the Super Bowl. This is the end saying that what I came to do is to be able to offer forgiveness to my children and everything. We usually look at just what he did on the cross, but we're talking about his whole life from the very beginning to the very end. That's the process of salvation. He's saying all this came down and born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, okay, and I uh, uh, entered in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and then I... Uh, did the Last Supper thing and the washing of the feet, and then I did the Good Friday thing, and I hung on the cross, and I endured, I endured, I endured till the very last second, and I gave up the Spirit. It is finished. Forgiveness is now freely available. Why? Because the people couldn't get it otherwise, and the people needed this, and I saw that my children were enslaved, and now I offer them a chance to live, a chance to be free, a chance to live this kind of life. And the doorway to enter that forgiveness is confession. Confession, all that Christ offered us on the cross, really throughout his life, but we'll focus on the cross piece just for today. All that he offered us. What does that have to do with me? How am I connected to that? You know how you're connected to that? Through confession. Confession is what plugs me into that. All this that he comes to offer freely, freely. Confession is the door. And some of us, we open the door to confession like this. We crack it. And for us, we understand the cross this much. We sing songs about it. We don't really get it. It doesn't really make much difference in our lives because we just kind of cracked it. But those who learn to open the door to confession nice and wide will live in the cross. The same way confession is to the cross what communion the Eucharist is to the Last Supper. The Eucharist, when we gather around the table of the Lord and partake of the body and blood of Christ, that's the entryway into the Last Supper table. That gets me a seat at the table next to the other guys. Well, confession gets me a seat at the cross. And His blood that pours down, that washes away my sins. Don't ask me to explain it. Don't ask me to tell you how it works. It's a mystery of the church, which can't really be explained. But that doesn't make it any less true. The goal for today is we understand what I just said, how that works. How does that work for me practically? We want to see the value of confession. We want to go through some logistics of how it should work, some tips for kind of getting started. But most of all, we want to, I never, ever, ever want to tell you, confession is good, go do it, and just do it because it's good. The day I tell you to do that, get up and walk right out. I want you to see the value in it, and I want you to understand it, and not just do it because you're supposed to do it. So with that said, there's two groups of people here today. There's two groups of people. There's church people and not church people. The non-church people and the church people don't have much in common on a lot of things, but you got uh, something in common on this one. Y'all hate confession. The church people hate it just as much as the non-church people. In fact, I would beg to argue that for church people, confession is uh, confession, the proper confession can even be more difficult and more daunting than a non-church person, if you can imagine. Why? First of all, let me be the first one to say that confession, it's awkward, it's embarrassing, it's weird. We spend our whole lives trying to cover our sins. And now I'm saying confession, come and expose it in front of the whole wide world. Like it's, it's backwards intuitive of everything that we've learned. What we learned is, made a mistake, don't let anyone see it. 
You got a problem there? Don't let anyone see it. Well, confession says, no, no, show it to the whole wide world. It's, it's great. Shout it from the mountaintop how bad you are and all the mistakes that you made. So I understand why everyone in this room is saying, I ain't doing this confession thing. Okay? Uh, do the prayer stuff and I'll meditate. I ain't go near confession. I totally understand. I'm the first one. But sometimes things that are valuable require a little awkwardness. And we don't need to get too much detail here, but y'all know the awkwardness of going for a physical at the doctor. Okay? There's awkward moments. And in order for us to receive the value, you must be willing to endure a little embarrassing, awkward moment. And that's what I'm saying is, let me tell you, I'm first and foremost with you. My first physical, after I became a priest, okay, I used to be whatever, and I was like whatever, and then I became a priest. And some guy from the church, his doctor, he said, okay, and uh, he's my new doctor, okay. But we didn't, I didn't think through this transaction, okay. So then I get there, and it's time for, you know, the situation to take place, and it was a little awkward, let's just say that. Let's just say after that moment, okay, he never asked me to cough again after that moment, okay. We had an understanding that all's well down there, okay, like, Everything's fine. I'll, I'll give you a heads up in case we need anything. It's awkward. But that's the way confession is. It's kind of like the physical. Then no one really wants to do it. And no one feels like motivated to expose themselves. But when you see the benefit and the value of it, I hope that you will practice it. And why I said it's just as difficult, if not more, for the, for the church people. Because, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy on this one. If I am not a church person, I don't know the priest... I confess to him, who is he? You know what I mean? I don't got any relationship. Then all of a sudden, once you establish a relationship with the person, then it becomes like, well, now nah, it's hard because I have a relationship. He's going to look at me funny and all this kind of stuff. I understand all those things. But the value of confession trumps the awkwardness of confession. Confession is the means by which we receive God's forgiveness. Confession is the means by which, like I said, that what Jesus did on the cross connects with what I did last night. What's the connection between what Jesus did on the cross and what I did last night is confession. Now let me explain what I mean by this. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that confession is where, like confession doesn't make forgiveness. I'm not saying that confession makes forgiveness. I'm saying confession is where I receive forgiveness. Think about it this way. Salvation. Big word. Salvation. When did salvation take place? When does it take place? We don't say, like, some people say it happened at the cross. And that's not bad, but it's not complete. We don't look at salvation... And the early church didn't look at salvation as an event, but rather a process. And a process that started back with the sacrifice of Christ, but continues on through our lives today. Same, so get this idea of forgiveness out that like, God gave me forgiveness of my sins there. Look at it this way. Like here's the verse that, that helps you out. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Think about it this way. I go, I like you, and I say I want to do you a favor. So I go to, um, you know, whatever car dealership, and I put down 20 grand, and I buy you a new car, okay, or however much new car costs, all right? 30 grand, all right, I buy you whatever. And I say, 
this in, you know, your name. I bought you the car, but you haven't received the car. To receive the car, you must come to this guy, you must fill out some paperwork, and then you drive away with the car. And while you're filling out paperwork, you'll probably deal with the receptionist, right? And she might ask you a few questions, show me your ID, and you'd be like, why do you do that? The car was given to me freely. I understand that, sir. But in order to receive it, you got to go through this little process. That's how confession and forgiveness works. God gave us forgiveness freely. No one say nothing about that. I'm not saying that me in confession, I'm giving you forgiveness. That's very pompous and arrogant of me to even think. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm the receptionist. And what God did is he gives it to us, but then he gave it to us through this mystery, this practice of confession. And he says, everybody, free cars for everybody. Everybody, everybody. But come, fill out the paperwork, show your ID. They may ask you a few questions. First name, last name, social security. They may ask you a few questions. Maybe a little awkward. Put your pride down a little bit. Humble yourself a little. Be willing to answer some questions. And you may be able to drive away with a brand new car. That's what work out your salvation with fear and trembling means. The cross is where he did it. Confession is where we receive it. So here's what I think. That's confession, forgiveness. But I want to go a little bit deeper. And I want to ask some people, okay, so sometimes we would say, I agree on confession. I agreed with everything that you just said. Well, why do I have to confess to a priest? I'm just going to confess to God. Common, common thing people say. And then you can find many verses that say, only one mediator, go straight to God. Like, how do we respond to that? Why do I need to confess to a priest? Do I need to confess to a priest? Can I just make my confession to God? Can I just confess to God privately? Why I need to go through a priest? Look, general principle of life. We never take one verse and build an entire religion around one verse. So I can bring you a verse that says that, you know, only one mediator. Go straight to God. Straight through Christ. And I can also bring another verse that says, confess your trespasses to one another. So I don't want to take this and negate. Like, it's not negating. What we want to do is we take a step back. We try to take the spirit. We try to understand the spirit of the teaching of the Bible, not just like this verse says this, and this like we don't, we don't want to become like that. So the spirit of Christ's words and what he instituted in the church was clear that he designated certain individuals to be responsible for certain functions. One of them is receiving the confession of the people. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. John chapter 20, let's get some context, happens when in the life of Christ? John 20. How many, cha how many chapters in the book of John is 21? So 20 means at the very, very end, after he had risen from the dead, before he left this earth. So what he's doing is commissioning his disciples to start the church after he's gone. This is what he says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Why that's important. Disciples assembled, doors shut. Meaning there's times where Christ spoke to multitudes. And he preached to the people. And there's times he just hung out with these guys. And not everything that he says here applies here. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can there be verses in the Bible that don't apply to everyone? I disagree with that. Every verse in the Bible applies to everyone, not just priests or whatever. Okay. There's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, you shall bear a child, call his name Emmanuel. Does that apply to any of you? Any virgins here expecting any babies anytime soon? 
No, there was a verse that literally applied to one person. Okay, and it applied to Virgin Mary and nobody else. Yeah, we take it spiritually and we can apply it spiritually that Christ, that's fantastic. But there's things that literally applied only to individuals. This is one of those verses. He's talking to a group and he's saying, you guys, doors were shut where the disciples were assembled. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What he's doing here is he's commissioning his apostles, saying, I'm leaving. I send you. You continue my work. What do you do? Well, you receive the confessions of the people and the sins that you forgive are forgiven that you retain are retained. <laughs> Still don't feel 100% comfortable with it. I understand, okay? Let's go even further back. We're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to go way, 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 way back to the book of Leviticus when God ordained the priesthood. Now you say, well, the priesthood of the Old Testament has nothing to do with today. Look, it's the same God, isn't it? And I agree that, that what God gave in the Old Testament, we don't do literally today, but the principles that God gave is the same God who gave principles, and then he refined them a little bit, and he continues to refine them, but it's the same principle. He's not changing his principle, and the principle was, I'm going to set aside, you guys are separate from them, not you're better than them, okay, you're just as bad or you're just as whatever, but you have a separate role. You have that role, you have that role, you have that role, you have this role, and your job is to not work outside, you sit in my sanctuary, and you receive the confessions, you offer sacrifice, and you announce forgiveness. Those three steps. Read it right here. Leviticus 5, 5, and 6. And it shall be, when he, when, me, when a man of Israel is guilty in any of these matters, and he's committed to sin, then he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. He shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. The priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. What is he saying? He's saying the priest's job was to hang out in the tabernacle. Somebody sins. They bring an offering. The priest accepts the offering, makes the offering, and then announces forgiveness. Doesn't make forgiveness, doesn't forgive them, just announces it. Just like the car lady didn't give you the car, she just gave you the keys and said, congratulations, sir, you want a new car. Just so you know, just so you know, when I'm sitting here talking about confession, I think it's important that you understand. Obviously, I'm the priest, okay, in the room here, so some of you might think, okay, I have this agenda to get more customers in confession. <laughs> As if there's some, like, quota I got to fill by the end of the month to, like, meet my numbers. <laughs> I'll be honest. I hate confessing, okay? And I'm not saying I hate receiving confession. I don't mean it like that. But what I'm saying is it's not my favorite thing in the whole wide world to do. I love every one of you, and I'm like, that's very important. But I'm saying me is difficult for me. As my wife knows, listening isn't always my strongest skill. I'm good at talking, not as good at listening. I'm happy, and I'm like, I love it, and that's the best thing. But I'm just trying to let you know that, like, if it was me selfishly, like, I'm shooting myself in the foot right here with this talk. If it's me selfishly, I say, no, forget about confession, okay? Yeah, yeah just email, shoot me an email if that's what I want. But this is not about what I want, about what you want. This is about what God teaches us. And that's why we have to look past our personal, ah, I don't like it, or it's weird for me. We've got to get past all that stuff, and we've got to see what does God teach me to do. Why 
when I say confession to a priest, is it so hard for us to accept? I accept confession. I accept I should confess. And I can even say, like, okay, you know, I can see the value. Why is it? Like, there's a deep-seated belief in our heads that I think contributes to the fact that we struggle with this idea of confessing to a priest. And I think it gets to this question, which I ask you. Your view of the church is a fellowship of saints or a fellowship of sinners? Why well, ask that question? Because I think one of the things that the devil likes to play with our heads is to convince us that this, like you see this, that you're sitting in, those are good people. Those are righteous people. They're whole, the, you, you think you can match with them? You did that sin? And you come to church? No, 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 you can't tell the priest. No, no, no. Look, you think all these other people do that stuff? I got news for you. I got news for you. We are not a fellowship of saints. And if you are coming to show your saintitude, please exit stage left. Because this is not a, a fellowship of saints. This is a fellowship of sinners. The church is a hospital for sick people. Imagine sick people in a hospital trying to pretend how healthy they are. Hey, why are you in? No, no, I'm fine. I'm good to go. That's what we do, isn't it? Isn't that what we do? Look, anytime that you think you're the only one who does that sin, let me ask you this question. You're the only one who does that sin. Okay, I'll give you that. How many people know that you do that sin? Answer is going to be zero. Why? Because you're a good actor and a good hider. Just like I am, just like the person to your left and the person to your right. We don't show off our sins. So don't be surprised when you feel like you're the only one because everyone else is just as good an actor as you. But nobody in here is perfect. Every person here is a sinner. Did you know that? In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. Go ahead, do it. It feels good. Yeah. Husbands, just one time to your wife. Just one time to your wife. Just one time. Okay. Yeah, you're a sinner. Now turn to them and say, I'm a sinner too. Turn to say, I'm a sinner. Very good. I'm a sinner. Good. Shame on all of you. Shame, shame, shame on you sinners. We're all sinners. And there's not any one of us that is perfect, and we all have weaknesses in different areas. My weakness may be, he, I may be strong in this and weak in this, and you may be weak in this and strong in this. That's just what all we are. Let's stop trying to pretend like we're perfect. You know what trying to pretend like you're perfect is going to do? It's going to make you a hypocrite. Covering your sins will eventually lead to hypocrisy. Because there's going to come a certain point in time where you can't cover it. So stop pretending. This verse, another misinterpreted verse, I believe, from the Bible. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Some people say this is about, see, says that we should confess to a priest. I actually disagree. I don't think this says that we, that we should confess to a priest. That's not how I read it. I'm not saying that you can't read it that way. I'm saying yes, it does. But I think it means much more than that. Because it says confess to one another. You know what this is saying? It's saying stop being a hypocrite. Stop wearing always a mask. I'm talking about a life of openness. A life of vulnerability. Not with the whole wide world that we all jump out and shout our sins. But what I'm saying is, Within my group right here, I say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. Can somebody help me? Like, we got to put down our guards and our shields, saying confess your trespasses to one another. Not just that you would be forgiven, but that you would be healed. See? See the difference between forgiven and healed? You confess to God, and you do the sacrament of confession for forgiveness. But you want a lifestyle of health? Those who are the healthiest are those who aren't always pretending to God and all together. Those who are the healthiest are those who can admit, 
I struggle with this, and there's no pride and ego involved in that. And if we want to be spiritually healthy and exercise ourselves towards godliness, we got to put our guards down and stop trying to live this hidden life. Here is for sick people. And sick people come here not to be judged, not to be told they're bad, not to be looked down upon. Here's where sick people come to be healed. And if you want to be a member of this body, you have to come, A, with that attitude that you're not here to judge anyone, and you are here to receive those, and never, we never look down or anything like that, that we accept, as we always talk about, that unconditional acceptance and limitless acceptance of anyone's sicknesses, whatever it may be. And that's exactly how we look at it, as sicknesses. If somebody just got a cold, or somebody got a thing, or somebody got a whatever, it's not that somebody's bad. We all got something different. We have, in this idea of confession, I'm going to tell you what people who don't confess and then start confessing, I'm going to tell you what they say. They say, you have the ability to go to somebody who will listen to you and will offer you the forgiveness that Christ gave right there and he will put his hands on your head and, and, and verbally declare to you that you have been forgiven of your sins. Like, you know how many people struggle with that hearing? Like, how many people repent and then wonder, I wonder if I'm forgiven? Happens to all of us. You know people, when they first start confessing, this is a huge weight off their shoulders. Somebody says, you're forgiven. You say, really? Say, yeah, you're forgiven. We all like to be reassured. Me and my, my wife, even were just joking about this the other day. Like, sometimes she knows exactly what's right, and she come ask me. And I'm like, you know what you want to do, and you know what's right. Why you ask me? I just want to hear you say it and reassure me. That's how we are as human beings, is that we know that, yeah, he forgave us, but, but when somebody comes and says, you're forgiven, it makes a difference. You got somebody to give you guidance. You got somebody to call you out when you need to be called out. You got somebody to be there to not allow you to make excuses. And then you want to know, honestly, I'm not just saying this. You know what people say after that, like the, the culmination of why confession is so great? And then they say, and all this is free? They're like, you don't got to pay for that? And they're like, I got to pay $100 an hour for that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's free. Free of charge. It was given freely there. It's given freely here. No charge. Sometimes I feel like we got the greatest thing in the whole wide world. And we don't take advantage of it. We got to change that. Let's get practical now. Tips for getting started in this practice. And again, I reiterate, I'm just talking tips. I'm not saying there's a formula. Look, some of you are very good. With all these practices, everyone is good at some, bad at others. If you are good at this, more power to you. Keep going with what's working for you, man. Okay, I'm not telling you the right way. I'm just telling you my way. All right, and my way, look, that's fine. So, just some tips for getting started. First thing you start with, examine yourself. And do so prayerfully. Don't just rush off into confession. I did this, I did that. Don't, don't, relax. Start off by spending some time in quiet. Remember how I said, confession to God, confession to a priest. We say, no, you have to confess to a priest. Yeah, but you do need to confess to God as well. Okay, so don't, don't, it's not either or, it's both. So it's not like only or only, it's both. And you start a course with God. And I always say you should never spend more time with a priest than you spend with God. Okay, so you're going to come talk for an hour here? You better have talked for at least an hour there. 
right? What am I doing when I'm examining myself? I mean, I, I don't want to get, like sometimes we get into like, you know, what questions to ask and, and what the formulas. Those things are great to help you get started. But in the end, like some people like to go through the Ten Commandments. Some people like to go through like the Sermon on the Mount. Some people, like that's fine. Ask yourself questions. Questions can only find answers to those questions. But in order to uncover all the stuff, it has to be the Spirit of God that's doing it. Like, this question can only un uncover one, two, three, four, five. And this one, you know what I'm saying? So I need the Spirit of God. And I need to ask God, like it says in your handout, that nice verse from Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know what's going to happen when you go to a quiet place, say a short little prayer, and then you read this verse and say, God, reveal to me any way of wrongdoing, any sins, a a any, a not just I did one, two, three, four, five, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to the principal's office and these, not like that, but any area that needs healing inside me, any sickness, you know what's going to happen? What happens when you go to a closet? What happens when you go to the attic and you haven't been there for a year and you start searching around in there? You know what you're going to find? Stuff that you didn't even know existed. Stuff that you completely forgot about. Stuff that you're like, that's in my house. I never knew seen that before. That's what's going to happen when you start to search your soul. What are you looking for? Just go in there, turn the light on. Trust me, you're going to find stuff. You say, well, I don't really have any, like I didn't kill anybody. I didn't. Just trust me. Spend a little bit of time looking. You'd be surprised what God will reveal to you when you go and search around in there. Search, not just, like I said, crimes that you've committed, all right? Or don't search just for acts, thoughts, relationships, anxieties, fears. Good things that I've done in a wrong way, because you know you can do good things in a wrong way. You want to search for in there, and you want to clean out that place. Now, with that said, you're not going to go in there. You're not going to have never done this and then spend 15 minutes on Tuesday morning and, and uncovered everything. This is a practice that we are going to instill in our lives and we are going to clean out the attic. Not in one sitting, not by the end of the week. We are going to constantly be going in and examining and searching for anything that doesn't work in there. Let me encourage you to make sure that you have a pen and paper when you do this. Because it's very easy to kind of think, and yeah, I'm proud, and I'm the... No, write it down, okay? Because when you write it down, it becomes clear. And I was trying to give, I was trying to think of some advice, okay, to those who are new to this. And I have two pieces of advice if you're new to self-examination, two warnings. Number one is be specific, and number two is don't be too specific. Number one, be specific, and number two, don't be too specific. Be specific, yeah, I, I'll explain, yeah, okay. Number one, be specific, don't be general. The person who says, I'm the worst sinner in the world. What have you done? Everything. Okay, that's fantastic. I told you all this story, maybe you've heard me share it before, that um, Pope Shenouda, before he passed away, shared this story one time, that someone came to the Pope and said, you know, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And the Pope wanted to razz him a little bit, so he said, okay, tell me what sins you've done. And the guy was like, um, all of them. He's like, okay, give me one or two. And the guy's like, you know, um, he had nothing to say. And it's just something, he was just saying like, yes, I'm the worst sinner. Forgive me, I have sinned. Okay, be specific. Right, it's easy to say, I'm the worst person in the whole wide world. The person 
who thinks he's done no sins and who's done every sin is the exact same person. It's the exact same person. It's a proud person, an arrogant person who thinks he's done nothing and thinks he's done everything. It's the same person. Stop trying to be humble and be humble. <laughs> don't, so number one is be specific. Number two is don't be too specific. Why I say don't be too specific? Don't become neurotic. And you, if you're type A on this one, listen carefully to me. The goal is not to recite everything that you've ever done since second grade, all right? And to make sure that you nitpicked at every single one. You know what happens when you become too specific? The focus is on you. The focus should not be on you. The focus should be on him. When you confess, it's not an exercise. It's not like a Dr. Phil kind of a thing, all right, to, to figure out all this stuff. The point of the exercise, okay, the point of the exercise, sorry, help there. the point of the exercise is to see my father. And I'm sitting on the lap of my daddy. And my daddy loves me. And my daddy just wants to, fee uh, to heal me and forgive me. And I'm sitting on my lap of my daddy. My daddy says, everything okay? And I say, well, you know, I did this. But it's not to go through the laundry list of stuff. All right? Be specific. Don't be too specific. Number two, after you have examined yourself, repent. And repent sincerely. There's a verse in your handout about a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that I have these consequences. I'm sorry that I embarrassed myself. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Godly sorrow is, God, I love you, and I'm sorry that I've offended your heart, and I'm sorry that I've disappointed you, and I've made you sad. Because it's based on the relationship, not based on the action. I'd encourage you not to rush through this step, because this step is where I like to think of it as God is doing a surgery in this step. And what God is doing is he's removing the roots of sins. Not just, I did this, I did this, I did this, God forgive me, and move on. Let, let, let this take its time. And say, like, okay, why did I do this, God? You know why I did this? Because I'm insecure. Um, I, I don't really trust you the way I say I do. That's, like, let God go deep and remove the roots of the sins. Okay, let him dig deep and get out those fears, those anxieties, those worries, those like disbeliefs, those doubts, those whatever that we have in our head and in our heart, give God a chance to get them out. The goal of this is self-examination, not self-condemnation. Okay? And how do I know the difference between self-examination and self-condemnation? That's step three. Change. Change. Make a change. This is practical. Make a change. The word repent means change at its root. Make a change. Doesn't mean never going to sin again. You're going to be, I'm not saying it like that. But what I'm saying is if I really repent over this, like I got to do something different. I got to either think differently. I got to pray differently. I got to avoid stuff. Like I got to do something. There's got to be a change in my strategy. I can't just go in there and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I understand. I'm probably going to fall on that again. But repentance and change doesn't mean I'm never going to fall again. But it means I'm going to get up from my fall. And that's what I'm saying here. You say, well, I can't. I can't ever not fall again. Okay, I understand that you can't ever, like, I understand that you can't be perfect. But can you at least try? Like, I may go to my wife and say, I'm sorry that I was, you know, impatient. 
Okay, but what's the point of saying sorry? I know I'm just gonna be impatient again. There's no way I'm gonna live the rest of my life and not be impatient. So why apologize? No, apologize. Okay, and try your best. And yeah, you may fall again, then you apologize again. That's how it works. We don't go to God and say, well, there's no point because I'm never... No, you apologize and you try your best. And if you fall, you apologize again. That's how life works in relationships. Same thing with God. Number four. Now that you've done this, confess immediately. Why do I say immediately? Because the devil of delay will mess you up if you give him a chance. Don't give the devil a chance to say, like, I'll tell you what the devil wants to do. Is you spend this time, you examine, you repented, you made a change, and we're like, okay, I did a good job, and I'm back out, okay? Get it out there, get to another human being, and confess immediately. Now, let me say this. For those who are in the practice of confession to a priest, confess to a priest. Some of you have never confessed to a priest before. And some of you say, I don't want to talk to a priest. I don't want to do that. That's weird. That's fine. I'm not saying to do it today. I'm okay. But maybe you start practicing this confession thing, this vulnerability thing, with a close friend. Maybe you go to your mom, your sister, your brother, your close friend, and say, like, hey, can I share some stuff with you? Obviously, be wise in who you choose. Okay, I'm not just saying. But what I'm saying is, I don't want you to think this is the worst thing. That here you are in your spiritual life, and I'm talking about something over there, and it's either here or there. That's not how any of us got there. We started, all right? And sometimes we went to the priest, and then we shared a couple things, but we couldn't share everything. That's okay. That's okay. Okay, why I always tell people, I'm talking about your first confession, not your last confession, right? It's okay, not everything. You didn't feel comfortable, okay. With time, you'll get there. So don't feel pressured that you got to go from zero to 100. Some of you said, I haven't confessed for a year. Okay, that's fine. Take it easy. We'll go step by step. We we'll need to come and tell your life story, but you can come and take some steps. But whatever you do, do it now. Do it now, okay? Before this thing tells me. I think that's why it's telling me I've been talking to you. Okay. Last but not least, after you confess and gone through this process, you celebrate, man. You celebrate, man. You know why you celebrate, man? Because that's exactly what heaven is doing when you repented and you confessed. Not my words, Jesus' words. Luke 15, 7. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. 99 people showing up at church, saying their prayers, doing all the right motions and everything that they need to do. That's fantastic. One person repents. One person comes back. One person receives forgiveness. Get them 99 people out the way right now. Somebody get a, get, throw a party around here. Somebody celebrate. Somebody get some balloons. Somebody get some streamers. Get the little noisemakers. We are throwing a party. Archangel Michael, come on over here. Put down, turn off the TV. All right, come over here. We are celebrating. Why? Because that boy repented, confessed, received forgiveness. We should celebrate God's forgiveness. We should celebrate. We should leave confession with the assurance that we are forgiven and be the happiest people in the whole wide world. The point of confession, here's how it works. It starts with sorrow, it ends with joy. And that's how you know you're doing it right. If you start with sorrow and you end with joy. If you don't start with sorrow, you probably ain't doing it right. And if you don't end with joy, you probably ain't doing it right. And this joy will not just be in a one-time joy, but it'll be a joy that lasts. Who are the people who are the most spiritually healthy? Who are the people who live at peace? Who are the people who's always smile on their face? 
the people who live a life of regular confession more than anyone else. I'll leave you all with this verse. And I want this verse to be you. For I will for Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Confession is the means by which we receive the forgiveness of God. And I want that picture and I want that verse to be me. And the door to enter that is through confession. Some of you, confession, the door of confession is emergency exit. Use only in case of emergency. We don't want that. Okay, we want confession to be the front door. We want it to be like one of them revolving doors that we just go and spin around. That we spend a lot of time in it. The more that you open this door to confession, I promise you, the more what Christ did on the cross will become real to you because it is your direct connection with what he did for you on that cross personally. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness that you've given us. Lord, there's no words that we can utter to thank you that you became sin for us, that we could become righteousness in your eyes. I pray that you would help us to put down our guards, to live a life of vulnerability and openness, to start practicing confession as, as like a lifestyle in our relationships, but also, Lord, in, in, in the way that connects us to your sacrifice and to your cross. Lord, none of us is any better than anyone else, and none of us, you have any reason to listen to us, but you just love us so much. For that, we thank you, and we pray that you'd help us to get over whatever obstacles is standing between us and, and between this, this practice of confession. Pray that you would really put your hand of blessing upon each person here, upon every soul that's struggling to know you more deeply and know you more intimately, and is seeking you with all their hearts, Lord. We pray that you would keep your hand upon them and, and help them to know you more deeply. We pray this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you all next Sunday.